This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. I don't know if there's been a Saturday where we've had more to talk about than right now. We have to talk about the truck crash in Nice. I hope the sarcasm was strong enough there, the truck crash. Whenever there's a terrorist attack now by an Islamic extremist, I always sit back and just wait. Just a couple hours. It doesn't take long to see how people spin it into something other than what it really is. So this one's truck crash. Got to hand it to him on that. Talk about that. Uh, Of course, we got to talk about Mike Pence. I've had a uh, minor interaction with uh, Mike Pence a couple years back. I think he's a great choice. I, uh, I I wanted more of a splash. So in a way, it's a bit disappointing. I wanted some you know crazy outsider guy. Uh, but he's a uh, good choice. A strong, charismatic, uh, good match for Trump. I think it's solid. Big Tea Party guy. Strong conservative or strong Christian, then conservative. Uh, I think I think it's really good. I think people will like him. Most people don't know him. Like ninety percent of people don't don't know him. So. Uh, once they see him, I think they'll like him a lot. So I think that's a really good choice. So we'll talk about that. Uh, I got to talk about what happened in Dallas. Got some amazing stories to share out of that. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? What else? I know there's something else big. Oh, I hosted the, I guest hosted the Dr. Drew show on headline news on Thursday. And the Dr. Drew show is fun because they have a lot of black lives matter guests. And I was the first conservative to host a show on headline news since Glenn Beck. Like, I got, I don't like who else. I don't know, eight years ago when Glenn Beck first got on TV on Headline News, probably the last time they had a conservative guest host. So uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm really grateful they let me do that. So we'll chat about that coming up as well. This is where I want to start, though, with all those really important things. This is where I want to start because we got the convention on Monday. I'm going to be there all week. Um, so you can watch our Facebook feed. We'll do a lot of Facebook Live and all that stuff. But I want to do this now so we can prepare for what we're about to see. And what we are about to see, I predict, is masterful storytelling. Now, the left has always been really good at storytelling. And we've been good at facts, right? So our conventions have always been about the economy. And here's what the tax rate should be. And here's why. Because of supply and demand. And with it, and everyone's like, it's so boring. No one cares. But the Democrats will bring out. The, the single mother with four kids who works at a Burger King who needs not $10 an hour, but $15 an hour in order to survive, right? That's a story that's compelling, that's captivating. It's emotion-driven. And that's why they always win. Trump's the very first Republican, probably since Reagan. I'm not... Let me make this disclaimer here first. We'll start off the bat here. Storytelling can be used for good or evil, Right? I'm not saying that the ability to tell stories to move people always means they move people into a good place. I'm just saying that's the best way to move people. You can move people to a bad place. You can move people to a good place. It can be used for good 
or evil. So when I say Reagan was the last person, I know there's a lot of anti-Trump people are like, you're comparing Trump to Reagan? No. I'm comparing their ability to use stories and emotion in order to move people. It's up for you to decide if where Trump is moving people is a good place or not. I'm just telling you that's how he's doing it. Does that make sense? That's my one disclaimer I'm going to make here because I'm going to make another comparison that if you don't know that could make you very upset. So this is pre-convention analysis. Pre-analysis, I suppose. All right, let me back it up. The OJ Simpson documentary on ESPN. You have to watch it. It's 10 hours. It is amazing. My wife and I were captivated for the entire 10 hours, our jaws on the floor. It's amazing and incredibly relevant to today. The first four hours is all about the Watts riots and the Rodney King riots. And it's the same thing that's going on today with police in inner cities. And it's also relevant to the election, which is what I want to focus on right now. I'm going to play four clips here in the next couple minutes. Uh, a couple segments. Each clip is a few minutes long, so settle in, but they're all so good. Now, I'm not doing this to talk about OJ or, or argue about OJ. I don't want any phone calls or emails about OJ Simpson. That's not what this is about. This is all about how to make or, or, or no, it's about how people make decisions. People don't make decisions rationally. <laughs> we don't. We think we do, but we don't. The jurors in the OJ case admit that they acquitted OJ as payback for Rodney King. That's it. 267 days of trial from day one, they were going to acquit him for something that had no relationship to the case whatsoever. How? Storytelling. That's what OJ's dream team did. Facts didn't matter. They knew the facts didn't matter. They knew they couldn't pay attention to the facts because the facts show that OJ Simpson killed two people. So they didn't deal with facts. It was about storytelling that's what moved people and i'm going to prove it here and this is what donald trump is going to do this weekend everything's going to be about stories give you one quick example about trump i think the most important person who's going to speak next week well i think dana white is going to be awesome he's the former now i got what is he now because ufc just sold for four billion dollars but whatever founder of ufc He's going to be amazing. People are going to love him. Um, Ivanka Trump, obviously, his daughter is amazing. But I think the most important person next week, most influential, is going to be Brock Mueller. Now, no one knows Brock Mueller unless you're from Michigan. Maybe Ohio State, you might know him. But Brock Mueller is going to be the most important person because he has a story to share. Trump knows that. That's why he invited Brock Mueller to speak at the convention. No one even knows who Brock Mueller is. But if you know Brock Mueller, you're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Okay, so we'll get to Brock Mueller later. All right, back to OJ. So this is a clip about taking the jury to OJ Simpson's house. So in this clip, and I'll I'll jump in real quick and just tell you who people are as they're talking, but um, you have OJ's agent, you have Marsha Clark, and you have one of OJ's lawyers. Now, quick background again. The first two episodes are almost all about how OJ never saw himself as black. He'd say to people, I'm not black, I'm OJ. And the great irony, of course, at the end, he's and during this trial, he's portrayed as a great black civil rights leader, which is hilarious. But all right, here's the very first clip here. And as you're listening to this, think about the power of storytelling. 908. This was not a person that you thought of as a kind of iconic black figure in Los Angeles. 
I mean, he lived two blocks from Mayor Breardon. We wanted the jury to see Bundy. But the defense said, well, if we're going to do that, we have to go to Rockingham. They do not need to go to Rockingham, but if they do, show them where they found the glove. That's all that's arguably relevant. We come to find that Ito was going to let them go into Rockingham. He's going to march the jury through the inside of the house, which is relevant to what? No part of the crime happened inside the house. What are we doing there? What we did that day is create an illusion. This is his agent. When you would walk up the grand staircase. This is his lawyer. There was a large wall with pictures of the family, pictures of friends, pictures of OJ's career. Problem was, the overwhelming majority of pictures were of Caucasian friends and colleagues of his. We had an African-American jury, and we wanted to make sure that the home setting would reflect the themes that we wanted to reflect. Hilarious. We took all of his white friends down, put all of his black people up, pictures he probably had never seen before. Because that's what we were told the jury would identify with. We made him blacker. There was a Norman Rockwell lithograph that we took from Johnny's office. And we put that picture at the very top of the stairs. We did not remove all of his pictures with white people. The whole house would have been gone, but it been dark. <laughs> Do that. Oh, you have got to be kidding me. It's night and day. This was an African-American man's house who had no associations with any white guys whatsoever. Marsha saw the wall and she said, Carl, you know damn well he has never had this many black people on his wall in his entire life. Marsha, what are you talking about? How dare you accuse us of such things? I was miserable. I was angry. That is very dirty pool. If we had had a Latin jury, we would have had a picture of a sombrero. There would have been a mariachi band out front. <laughs> we would have had a pinata at the upper staircase. Oh, amazing. I'm, that was his lawyer talking. If he was a Latin jury, we would have had to wear a sombrero. Unbelievable. Storytelling. They were trying to tell a story. Or as the lawyer said, uh, we wanted to make sure that the home setting would reflect the themes that we were trying to reflect. (laughs) Storytelling. Trump knows the power of this. That's why we're talking about this marketing, branding, storytelling. This is Donald Trump. He knows the power of this just like OJ's team did. Um, Should we do... Let's play, let's play one more. Let's do 909 here real quick. So this is um, more storytelling. These are the black leaders in L.A. who are trying to capitalize on, on O.J. Simpson. Now, 
uh, instead of saying, uh, oh, uh, yeah, this guy murdered two people. We're not going to make him the, like the forerunner of our cause. Um, they, they instead made him into the civil rights icon of the century. So these are some reverends from the AME Church in L.A. And one of the reverends uh, was never Ford. You'll hear him here. He, he thought O.J. did it the whole time. He didn't succumb to it. But the other guys were all about turning him into something that he wasn't. Storytelling. Here it is. O.J. Simpson became a symbol of that decade, of that time, of that response to has the mentality of America changed in the civil rights struggle or is it business as usual? For me, as a progressive Christian Democrat I'm going like when are we going to go back to the evidence you would find yourself in a room of ministers and community leaders and the conversation inevitably would go back to OJ and how OJ was being mistreated justice been done in the courtroom we pray yes we are talking about justice Instead of getting in and saying, free OJ, you know, as if he was a political prisoner, it for me was, let me just get quiet. Let me sit there and say nothing. I really do believe privately a lot of African-American leaders felt the same way. If this case gets covered up under the rug, we will never trust the criminal justice system again. You turned OJ Simpson into a civil rights cause. You would all regret that? Absolutely not. O.J. Simpson was a vessel. He was merely a tool that allowed something to come out and be exposed. So you were using O.J. Simpson for your own cause? I was using O.J. Simpson for our cause, for black people's cause. (laughs) Amazing. All right, so... More storytelling. Left always been good at this. Always been good. Republicans have always been terrible, but Trump's great at it. So uh, next week, you're going to see a ton of really great storytelling. There's one more clip we'll definitely play, maybe two more when we get back, and then I think the point is made. But you have to hear the closing arguments from Johnny Cochran. That's what this next segment is about. Marsha Clark said when she was giving her closing arguments, the jury was stone-faced. They never looked at her. They never made eye contact with her. They're falling asleep. Why? Because she was dealing with facts. Boring. Boring, boring facts. Johnny Cochran made it about whose side are you on? You, black people of the jury, are the conscience of the community. And if you don't do the right thing today to stop black uh, uh, racists uh, in the police department, LAPD, if you don't do what you can do right now to stop that, then no one ever will, and it's never going to stop. Do the right thing. Right? That is so incredibly deceitful and dishonest, but it's storytelling. He made the story. He wound the story around this jury, and of course they were going to choose to acquit him. One more proof, and then we'll talk more about Trump, and I'll give you some specifics about how Trump has done this. Next, Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. 
In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. This is Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders talking about the power of storytelling. Because that's what you're going to see a lot about the Republican convention next week. A lot of storytelling. Using the O.J. Simpson case as an example for how powerful and influential this is. The defense, Marsha Clark, used facts. Johnny Cochran and and, uh, O.J.'s team used storytelling. And it can be used for good or evil storytelling. In this case, evil. In Donald Trump's case, well, you decide. I think good. Um, But here is... um, the part from OJ's documentary, the OJ Simpson documentary on ESPN about the closing argument. It wasn't about facts. It's about story. Here it is. The room then erupted. High five and hey, hey, hey. What everybody remembers about Johnny Cochran's summation is if it doesn't fit, you must acquit, which was cute and fine, but it wasn't the heart of the summation. The heart of the summation was whose side are you on? When you go back in the jury room, some of you may want to say that, well, gee, you know, boys will be boys. Uh, this is just like police talk. This is the way they talk. That's not acceptable. That's the consciences of this community. If you adopt that attitude, that's why we have this. There's no more powerful a narrative in American society than that of race. A racist is somebody who has power over you, who can do something to you. A police officer in the street, a patrol officer, is the single most powerful figure in the criminal justice system. He can take your life. And that's why, that's why this has to be rooted out. He was magical to watch in court. Just magical. Stop this cover-up. Stop this cover-up. If you don't stop it, then who? You think the police department's going to stop it? You think the DA's office is going to stop it? You think we can stop it by ourselves? It has to be stopped by you. It offended me because he was using a very serious, for real issue, uh, racial injustice, in defense of a man who wanted nothing to do with the black community. Van Hatter with his big lies and then we have Furman coming right on the heels and these two twin devils of deception. It's part of a culture of getting away with things. It's part of culture looking the other way. We determine the rules as we go along. Nobody's going to question us. We're the LAPD. He and that team were willing to go anywhere that they could to get the killer off. It's just not honorable. It's not right. Officer Furman went on to say that he would like nothing more than to see all gathered together and killed. He said something about burning them or bombing them. There was another man 
who had those same views. Uh, we got we got to stop it right here. We'll stop it right here. We got we got to hit a hard break here. We'll polish the clip off. There's only like 30 seconds left, but that's the whole point of this. Last 30 seconds. We'll do it next, and then we'll stop with the OJ. And I'm going to bring it back around to Trump, and give you examples of how Trump is a master storyteller as well. Well, and that's why you will see the biggest bump out of any Republican candidate for president ever after this weekend. It's going to get out of the echo chamber and really move. Uh, minds and hearts and that's how you move people we'll do all that next mike slater show the blaze radio network spread the word mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio on the blaze radio network Later. Sorry, I missed time that last clip. Talking about uh, storytelling, the power of it. That's how you move people. The left has been uh, wonderful at this for a long, long time. Unfortunately, they've been moving people in the wrong direction. And conservatives have not been very good at storytelling for a long time. We use facts. Facts don't move people. A certain percentage of people, you, most people, they don't move. Donald Trump is a master brander and storyteller and marketer. So you're going to see a lot of really great storytelling uh, next week at the convention. So just to prove the power of this, of storytelling, uh, I, I heard some great examples from the OJ documentary, the ESPN documentary. It's amazing. You should watch the whole thing. It's great. Um, but Marsha Clark and 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 the uh, the people were all about, uh, the state was all about facts. Here's where OJ was at this time, and here's what he did at this time, and here's the DNA evidence. Uh, it didn't mean anything to people. Not to the jury. The jury was moved by emotion and storytelling, and that was the the masterfulness of um, Johnny Cochran. So we're playing a, a segment from the documentary about his closing arguments, and uh, this is where we left off. He, he's talking about how you, black people on the jury, you are the conscience of the community, and if you don't stop police abuse and brutality and racism in the LAPD right now, then no one ever will, and it's never going to stop. Right. And and that's the conclusion of, of 267 days of weaving the Watts riots and, and Rodney King throughout this entire trial, of course, had nothing to do with OJ. But that's the power of storytelling. So here's the end of that clip. Who had those same views. People didn't care. People said he's just crazy. He's just a half-baked painter. They didn't do anything about it. This man, this scourge became one of the worst people in the history of this world, Adolf Hitler. The word Hitler had not been in any of the prior drafts. People didn't care, didn't try to stop him. He had the power over his racism and his anti-religionism. Nobody wanted to stop him and it ended up in World War II. I found his closing arguments to be irresponsible. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate your attention. Hmm. So this type of storytelling is uh, terrible when it's used to get a murderer off the hook. I think it's irresponsible when it's used to gain power as a politician. For instance, the minimum wage. It's, there's no facts. 
behind the minimum wage. It's all storytelling. Let's just do global warming for a second. Think about that. Think of the narrative that the left has created about global warming. There's no facts there. They make Hollywood movies about it. Now, now if they say, oh, but look at what the scientists say. Okay, fine, but no one's influenced by that. People are influenced by the dramatic, we're all going to be underwater and the polar bears are dying and all like that. That's what people are moved by, not by the facts, but by the emotional arguments. And Trump is the first Republican who can use those same tactics to influence people. I think that's why he's going to win the election because he's way better at it than Hillary Clinton. So how has Trump done it? We've documented a million ways already, but I just want to give you two from the last week or two. Um, Quick backstory here. Paul McKenna. Paul McKenna is a best-selling author in England. He's a self-help guy and a hypnotist. It turns out the Brexit people, right, so the people who wanted to vote for England to leave the European Union, the Brexit people consulted him on their TV commercials. They didn't go to marketing people. They went to a hypnotist. Now, he did not hypnotize people in the commercials. But he used those same principles uh, to persuade people. And this is what he said about the Brexit commercials. He says, the Remain campaign, so this would be the other side, the Remain campaign featured fact, 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 fact. It just doesn't work. You've got to connect with people emotionally. It's the Trump success. (laughs) So the Brexit people took the Trump model in order to Get 52% of the people to vote to leave. Now, did it uh, change the minds of 52% of the people? No, but 3%, 2%, that's all it took, it took to win or lose. And that's all I'm talking about with Trump, too. You know, it's 40-40 right now is the last poll. 40 Hillary, 40 Trump. What's up with the other 20? Where are they at? All right, that's the 20% we're talking about here that Trump is going to persuade. So, anyway, back to the Brexit. So, Paul McKenna. The most successful video that he made, the question was, are you concerned about the amount of crime being committed in the UK by foreign criminals? Are you worried about the overcrowding of the UK and the burden on the national health system? And then it ends with, isn't it time to take back control? Right, that tells stories. It's emotional. It's a 30 second ad. And take back control. Not that different from Make America Great Again, is it? Take back control speaks to sovereignty, speaks to pride. Make America Great Again speaks to uh, our history and pride. Now, I want to play two commercials here from Trump in the last week or two. Now, I'm not saying these commercials are hypnotizing us, but you will notice in these two commercials, they repeat the same thing over and over and over again throughout them. Let's start with 920. I don't think you are qualified... I do not know any progressive who has a super PAC and takes $15 million from Wall Street. I don't think you are qualified if you have supported virtually every disastrous trade agreement which has cost us millions of decent paying jobs. I do question her judgment. I question a judgment which voted for the war in Iraq. I don't think you are qualified. I have shown a lot better judgment than she has on foreign policy. I don't think you are qualified. You know, excuse me, I'm talking. Okay. How many times did 
the Trump marketing people replay, I don't think you are qualified, and it seems like they slowed it down too, doesn't it? Flip, you're like a you're a sound guy, and the producer doesn't it, does it sound or I, is that just him talking? Does it sound like they? No, were, I, I think you're right. I think they put a little uh, delay on that clip there. <laughs> I don't think you are qualified, and then kept playing the word judgment, 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 judgment over and over again. All right, one more. Uh, this that was two weeks ago. I think this is uh, this last week, nine twenty one. I did not send or receive any information that was marked classified at the time. From the group of 30,000 emails returned to the State Department in 2014, 110 emails in 52 email chains have been determined by the owning agency to contain classified information at the time they were sent or received. At the time. At the time they were sent or received. Any information that was marked classified. To contain classified information. I did not send or receive any information that was marked classified at the time. Eight of those chains contained information that was top secret at the time they were sent. Any information that was marked classified. Thirty-six of those chains contained secret information at the time. I did not send or receive any information that was marked classified at the time. And eight contained confidential information at the time. At the time. Okay. So what what what's the what are the three words that stand out to you in that ad? At the time, right? So again, he picks one thing and repeats it over and over and over again. Now you've heard plenty of montages of Hillary Clinton and uh Comey. You know, after his decision two weeks ago. Um but none of them like that. Right, they'll they'll show Hillary lying and then Comey saying the truth. Hillary lying, truth, Hil- but different things, and they'll just go down. Trump doesn't do that. He's stuck on one thing and played it over and over and over and over and over again. Have you ever heard that in a political ad before? No, he's using these branding, marketing, and sales tricks. I'll, I'll end on this because I, I think you get it. So, and please hear what I'm saying here. Okay, if you were an alien from outer space. Or if an alien came down from outer space and saw, just on paper, two candidates for president. Candidate A, candidate B. That alien could argue that Hillary Clinton probably makes the most sense. Now, again, they, they don't know anything about Hillary or about Donald Trump. They don't know any of the background, per se, just looking at it on paper. Hillary was a U.S. Senator, Secretary of State. She's got the resume. Now, please don't get me wrong. She's terrible. I'm talking about an alien from outer space. And if you went into depth in her resume, and if there was, you know, if you saw the truth of Hillary, you would never vote for her. But I'm talking about on the surface. Hillary is a rational, the rational choice. Trump is the emotional choice, the outsider, the firebrand. But where we are as a country and a society, Trump. Yeah, he's a risk, but it's a risk that a lot of people are willing to take because of where we are. And I think it's similar with the Brexit. Staying in the EU, on paper, it makes sense. It makes sense to stay. It's easier. It's less expensive. Why rock the boat? All that. It's the rational choice. Leaving is the emotional choice. It's difficult. It's bold. Rocks the boat. Humans don't like to do that a lot. We don't like to rock the boat a lot. So how did the leave vote win? Same way Trump's going to win. Who's the better storyteller? 
Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. All right, just to put a nice little exclamation point on all of this, for months we've been talking about Trump and marketing and branding and stagecraft and theatrics and commanding attention and all of these things and how he does it uh, better than anyone. It's uh, it's in the P.T. Barnum school of commanding attention. And we've told many stories about P.T. Barnum, uh, about how he said no, no, no media is bad media, no attention is bad attention. He would, P.T. Barnum would write letters into the local newspaper as of as someone else, right? Like as Charlie Smith. And Charlie Smith would say, I went to the PT Barnum show the other day. What a disgrace. It was unbelievable what he showed. I, I will I am mortified. I am offended beyond belief. I can't believe this should be allowed. Please, I urge local politicians to take down the display that P.T. Barnum has up on the corner of Main and 2nd Street, downtown from 5 to 8, right? <laughs> and people will be like, oh my gosh, what is it? So he was a master at commanding attention. P.T. Barnum and Donald Trump is the exact same way, these showmen. I think it was Glenn who, months ago, saw an interview that um, Ted Cruz did on Fox News, and the lighting was terrible, and the the bottled water was sitting on the ground with a bunch of cables and they were sitting in these dumpy chairs and it just looked awful versus Donald Trump who did an interview with Hannity and the beautiful lighting and the cameras were on this giant rig and uh, no cords anywhere and it just looked beautiful and presidential. That's stagecraft. No way was Trump going to get on a stage that, um, like a stage that uh, Ted Cruz walked on, but Ted Cruz doesn't understand stagecraft because he doesn't have a background in television like Trump does. Anyway, so you're going to see a lot more stage craftery this next weekend. It's going to be awesome. So final thought on this. Um, now, I said for about eight months now, people ask me who the VP is going to be. I said Mark Cuban. Half joking, but I knew that Mark Cuban was in the similar school of theatrics as Donald Trump was. So I read a blog post from Mark Cuban back in around Christmas time, and he said he learned theatrics by watching Paris Hilton and Dennis Rodman. Right, how to play the media, how to give them content, how to make yourself into a brand. So he watched it and emulated it, and that's why everyone knows the name Mark Cuban. And he said Donald Trump is the same way. Um, so anyway, I thought Mark Cuban, but I said that half joking is like just to prove that everything has changed, and the game is completely different than anything we've ever known. I want to play this one last last, last, last clip here. This is The Rock, The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, former WWE champion of the world, uh, doing an interview with Michael Strahan. He's also the king of social media, where one post caught my eye. You shared on, on one of your posts about being president. How real was that? Ah, yeah. Well, it's very real. The idea of me being president one day has become a legit thing to some people. As time goes on, we take the temperature of the American people, and if it is a overwhelming, positive, strong, we want you to run for president... <laughs> And if I felt that I can step up to the plate and become a tremendous leader and make a real difference and make change, I would do it. I tell you right now, that sounded so presidential. I'm like, <laughs> put the ballot out there. Okay, so 
The Rock will run for president one day. So you can just note that, mark that. Gentlemen back in New York, you can uh, uh, grab that sound clip right there and save it, and we'll play it in four to eight years. Uh, I guarantee you The Rock will run for president. Because the game has completely changed. And somehow, over the last 240 years, the skill sets necessary to be president are completely different now than the skill sets necessary to win the presidency. Everybody, let me say it again. The skill sets necessary to be president are wildly different than the skill sets necessary to win the presidency. So someone now can be really good at winning the presidency, but have none of the skill sets that are required to be a good president. That's dangerous times, or at least interesting ones. And I guarantee you, The Rock will run for president. That's where we're going. Coming up next, we'll talk about Dallas. And I think the story that defines what happened in Dallas, it's a good one. We'll share it next. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. What a crazy week it was. And then last night, as I'm uh, rolling out of the studio for my local show, there's a military coup. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Like this, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'd see you. See you later. Worry about that later. Um, I want to share this story about what happened in Dallas because I think it's uh, a wonderful story, and I think it proves how we have way more in common than things that separate. So I was able to guest host the Dr. Drew show on Headline News on Thursday, which was a lot of fun. Um. And this was so long story short, we're going over with the producers what we're going to talk about. It's the first time I've ever hosted a TV show before. So I don't know what I'm doing. So we're going with the producers and they say, well, what do you want to do in the final segment? And I said, I don't know. What do you do? And they're like, well, you can either have the guests give their final thought or you can give your final thought. I was like, I'll, I'll give my final thought. So I wrote something up about how we are, we have way more in common. And I think that's 100% true. I'll, I'll, I think I may have retweeted it, actually. But anyway, I, th- I think that's 100% true. And I wanted to share this story, but I didn't have enough time. So I shared a different story, which we'll talk about later. But um, I think this, out of what happened in Dallas, this is us. This is who we are. Not the the race baiters and the dividers out there ch- sharing their stories. This is who we are. So anyway, this woman was at the Dallas protests. Shots fired. She got separated from her 13-year-old son. Now, she was with another one of her sons, younger son, and she jumped on top of him and shielded him and prayed with him. She got shot in the leg. Now, she's okay now. She had a a press conference the other day at the hospital, and I'll I'll get to the 13-year-old son. So, again, the 13-year-old boy got separated. I'll get to him in a minute here. But here she is uh, talking about police officers, 900. 
thank you. God bless you. And just thank you for setting yourself aside and, 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 and we're in covering us. So I just thank you and God bless you. Thank you so much. Oh, yes, just thank you for this, the... It just takes just said just thank you. Yeah, for setting yourself aside and just, you know, being heroes. So tell me, has this changed your view on police officers? Not at all. No, no, not at all. I, um, I've always held police officers at a very high place in life. My son, my youngest one, is since he's been six, that's all he wants to do. And I'm going to support him in that, and I'm going to continue to support my community, my police officers. I've never had an issue with police officers. And if anything, it's just made my admiration for them greater. Really, it has. And my attitude has not changed. I will, con I will just continue to support. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, that's a good question because, I mean, I wonder where is anything going to go from here? Um, I'm just a mother and a wife. You know, I'm not an activist. I'm not a politician. I just want to protect my family. I want my sons to come up as good young men and, and be productive in their communities. And I just want them to know that you always have to, you have to work for anything in order to achieve something in life. They have a clear understanding that everybody was not raised the way that they were, you know. Um, everybody doesn't have the same mind frame that they made. But I don't want that to stop them from being successful in life. I don't want that to stop them from branching out and um, so I'm not I don't know what's going to happen for me I don't know what the discussion will be I don't know what's going to happen I don't I have no idea you know because I woke up the next day to see other reports on the news with officers involved that just makes no sense to me whatsoever an amazing woman so if you've listened to this show for a while then you know what part of that I got really frustrated at. I, I get a I get a visceral reaction, I cringe when I hear people start off sentences with I'm not a politician and I'm not an activist. I'm just a blank. No 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 no. Stop right there. Stop thinking that politicians and activists are the only people whose voices matter. Stop thinking that you need some title in order to uh, uh, have permission to make a difference or that you need to be bestowed some authority to make a difference. That your opinions don't, don't matter because you're not elected to something or because you haven't been given this label of an activist, whatever that even means. We don't need more. We need fewer politicians and activists. What we need are more mothers like this woman who want their boys to become men and productive, who teach their boys to work hard. Even better, we need more fathers who would do that. Parents who teach their kids that hard work is the key to success and education and family. 
this is a mom of kids are going to be fine. They'll be fine. She's teaching them what it takes to be successful in life, not to be victims. Her kids are going to be fine because of that. I just wish more people would take her philosophy of life. She goes on, 901. I would say it starts at home first, first and foremost. It starts at home. The education of your children at home is what's very important. Teaching your your sons and your daughters how to first respect themselves, and then they can only have respect for others. That includes law enforcement, doctors, whoever they may encounter in life. It's It's not all police officers. It's not. They're not all bad. They're not all out to get us. It's not, and it's just my opinion. They're not. There's this, and it's like stop and think first, please. Just stop and think. I, I tell my kids all the time, you know, closed mouth, open mind will get you a long way in life. Sometimes just be quiet and think first. So I don't, I mean, it's disheartening. Like I said, I'm, I'm angry and I'm frustrated because it's, of course we want action, but you got you to gotta think first <laughs> before taking that action. Sometimes it helps a lot. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but like I said, I'm not going to stop. I want my community to be unified. I want my people to be unified. I want all of us to come together. I really do. And it, it starts at home with talking to your kids calmly and not being irrational at home, not letting them see you upset and, and, and saying negative things. They shouldn't see that at home. I think it was a majority of white officers around me, and it was a, it was a black officer that drove us, helped me get up and drove us to the hospital. But I think it was a majority of white officers that surrounded us. Hmm. How great is that line? If you don't respect yourselves and you can't respect others. Uh, this woman's amazing. Like, why can't we just, let's just agree on some basic things. Can we just can we do that, please? Can we just say, all right, this is what we're going to go with now. So we're, we're all going to agree to these truths. Okay. We'll, just, we'll list three of them. We've got three truths. We'll agree to these. Don't worry. There's plenty of room for disagreement beyond them. Right? There's plenty of room for differing opinions and how we're going to act after we agree to these truths. But let's all agree to these fundamental truths first, because otherwise there's no way anything productive will happen. So there's a good fundamental truth. If you don't respect yourself, you can't respect others. One of many points of wisdom that this woman has. Very last clip. This is a short one. 902. These are the people that you call when you are in a situation. You got to remember that. And, and I know that either if, if they probably have or a family member, whoever, some, they know someone who's called a police officer when they've been in a situation where they had no way out and needed help. You call 911. What are we going to do if the police decide, you know, I'm done? What are we going to do if they stop policing? What are we going to do? What if they just decide we're going to boycott? Who are you going to call? You know? Let me wrap up this story here. So that's the mom. And I told you that when the shots were fired, she got separated from her 13-year-old son. So the 13-year-old son, you know, and the crowd, people running, panic, all the rest. 
So he goes and finds this woman, Angie Weisner. They don't know each other. And says, can I be with you? I don't want to be alone. I got separated from my mom. I don't want to be alone. And she's like, of course. So they, they go and they, they try to find someone with a phone, but everyone's frantic and running around. So she's finally able to uh, find some police officers and hands the boy off to the police officers. And, and then later they, uh, he is reunited with his mom. So th- at the hospital here, this is the first time that these two moms reunited after she protected uh, the first woman's son. So here, here's that moment uh, just after they got reunited, 903. I'm a mother, so so here her, she was saying that she was praying to God that Jawan was okay. And just to know that you are what somebody prayed for is undescribable. And I was worried about him all night Friday. I was just, I, I still didn't know that it was, she was shot. And I was like, man, I hope his mama not shot for real. And then Friday I found out that she um, really was shot in the leg. But I've been worried about him. I was just hoping he was okay. To be honest, I don't see myself as a hero. I just see myself as a mother. Any mother, and it's a difference, any mother would have did that for somebody's child because you're a mother, and I'm a mother. I have three kids, two of them are boys, younger than him. So any mother would have did what I've done. Love it. Final thought on, on here, what happened in Dallas, and what's been going on in our country the last couple of years here. That woman, let's just pick her, that woman and you, have a million things that are different between the two of them, between, between the two of you. You and that woman, a million things that are different. One of them might be skin color. How light reflects off of each of your skin might be a little bit different. And we could focus on that and the other million things all day long and say, oh, we're different. Look, look at how our sun reflects off and, we're, and you know, I hate you. Or if we talked for a minute, then we could see 10 things that we have in common. And those 10 things are infinitely more valuable, infinitely more important. They're the only 10 things or how many other things we come up with that matter. Even if it's one thing, focus on that one thing and go with it. If we don't do that, nothing will, nothing good will happen. <laughs> you can't have something good happen unless you can first... Find something you agree on and go with it. But we refuse to do that. Now, when there's a time of tragedy, like in the midst of what happened in Dallas there, usually all the nonsense goes away, right? All the nonsense just falls away and you focus on those things that matter. You focus on those things that we have in common. So in the midst of this madness right here, this woman said, I'm a mother. I'm a mother. That's a boy. I have a boy that age, or it's going to be that age. I'm going to take care of, I'm going to protect him right now. Right, so they looked instantly. That's what happens when 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 there's tragedy. We look at things we have in common because that's what's most important. We know that deep down. That's why I love that story so much. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. 
Crusaders. Play this clip here. I, th- I think... Hmm, how do I word this? So, we lack empathy in our culture. And there's been plenty of studies that have shown that, actually with more technology, especially phones, Pokemon Go, that kids have less empathy now than people their age 30 years ago. So empathy is going away. Uh, the ability to see the other side. Um, battle lines are drawn now harder than ever. So I want to praise this gentleman here. His name is Jarrett Maupin. This was last year. He was a, um, a Black Lives Matter leader, anti-police protester in Phoenix. So he would organize marches and do activist things like that against police officers. And he started doing that after a police officer shot an unarmed man last year in Phoenix. So he was anti-police, riled people up for that cause. So last year he went through some police training for an afternoon with some pretty incredible results. Take this in, 904. We want his badge. We want his gun. We want his job. Today, he accepted an invitation to look at things from the other side, agreeing to go through a force-on-force training session with the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Three scenarios where you have to decide to shoot or not shoot. Scenario one is a call about a man casing cars in a parking lot. Moppin approaches the man and starts asking questions. What? Where you have your hand in your gun? You're looking for your vehicle. What kind of car do you drive? Where you have your hand in your gun? What kind of car do you drive? This is my car, man. Oh. Moppin, the officer, is shot. It happens that fast. At what time did you think that it was time for you to address the use of force that was given? Uh, when he came to the back of the vehicle okay. uh, and and was hiding. You know, I could sense something something was wrong. Scenario two, a call of two men fighting. What's going on today, gentlemen? What's wrong with you? What's going on today, gentlemen? What do you want? What's happening here? What's wrong with back you? Back up. Huh? Oh. What are you doing, man? Hey. Hey, he shouldn't approach me. He shouldn't approach me. He shouldn't approach me. He shouldn't approach me. in there. Yeah. What are you doing? You just shot him? Oh. Hey, he rushed me. Tell me why you shot. Well, I, I've shot because he was within that zone. You know, I felt there was a an imminent threat. I, I didn't necessarily see him armed, um, but he he came clearly to do some harm to uh, to the officer, to my person. It's hard to make that call. It's a, It shakes you up. Again. An unarmed man was shot. Scenario three, a call about a possible burglar walking down the street. Moppin gets him on the ground. He's not complying. I need you to keep your hands up, sir. For what? Because I need to check that waistband. Well, why? What are you doing? Because I don't know what you have under there. Everybody, look at this guy. What are you doing? No shots fired. But the suspect did have a hidden knife in his waistband. I went through the scenarios, too, without seeing what Moppin did. Well, do you have keys or uh, do you have anything to show me that? Yeah, don't worry about no, it. No, I need to talk to you. Come on, come on out over here. Oh. Well, I'm dead. Maricopa County Sheriffs, get on the ground. Get on the ground. Both of you, get on the ground. Get on the ground. For what? Get back. Get back. Same results for both of us. Things happen very fast out here. I asked Moppin what his biggest takeaway from this exercise will be. I didn't understand how important uh, compliance was, but but after going through this, yeah, my attitude has has changed. Uh, it, this is all unfolding in in ten to fifteen seconds. Um, people need to comply with the with the uh, orders of law enforcement officers for their own sake. 
Thanks to the Maricopa wow. County Sheriff's Office for uh, taking us through that today. That, it was an eye-opener. That's a tremendous uh, admission that, that Reverend Maupin just made. Right. That you need to comply for your own safety. Right, and he saw it. I mean, he plainly shot a man who was not armed but was coming at him, and he felt you know, that he was unsafe at that point, that he was coming after him, and, and he fired. He says he's going to go out into the community and say what he said at the very end there. You have to comply with what police officers tell you. Let everything sort out at the end. But just do what they tell you right then and sort things out afterwards. Interesting. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing clip right there. So this activist takes an afternoon to know what it's like on the other side, completely changes his tune. We all need to do that. But everyone's so narcissistic, only their opinion matters. Truth means nothing. If everyone went through that same afternoon of police training, I think a lot of this would go away. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, how are you? Thanks for being here. Uh, so Sandy just said, hey Slater, you got to talk to Mike Broomhead about Moffitt. His latest actions apparently did not show his understanding. So when I hosted the Dr. Drew show, I guess hosted Dr. Drew on Headline News on Thursday. I uh, We had him on. And TV's weird. You only get like two minutes. And I really wanted to talk about the growth that he had and the understanding of police actions and all that. But turns out that he yesterday, I guess, or supposed to yesterday, I didn't follow up. Uh, start a stage a uh, protest and block traffic in Phoenix. So whatever. So we ended up doing a five minute argument about how stupid that is and how you're not endearing anyone to your cause when you do that. We didn't too much talk about his growth, but yeah, it looks like he learned a lot about compliance, and that's what he tells people to comply to police officers' demands. And I think that's really that's that's good. But he certainly hasn't come all the way around uh, to the root cause of of a lot of this stuff. But anyway. I'll take a little bit of growth. I want to read this here from Myron Magnet. You know that guy? I've never heard of him. So for a decade, he was the editor of City Journal. He's a board member on Fortune. He wrote a book in 1993 that George Bush called the most influential book in his life behind the Bible. He got his undergrad and master's from Cambridge, PhD from Columbia. He was a professor there. So you get the idea. Smart guy. And I say this because when I read this, when I read the headline of the article, I thought, oh, you know, whatever. Conservative blog. The headline is America's Worst President. And then I was like, oh, I wonder who wrote it. I looked at this guy. I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. And I want to read this paragraph here that most people couldn't get away with saying. But I'll read it here. See what you think. Myron Magnet, when the president praises the Black Lives Matter demonstrators as if they alone of his fellow countrymen know the truth, he is only reinforcing black grievance when his proper role is to convince ghetto black people that their lives matter enough for them to take responsibility for them, to stop going around with chips on their shoulders and glocks in their waistbands and to be fathers to the children they beget. 
and to set for them an example of their responsible citizenship that is theirs for the asking, thanks to the efforts of so many of their countrymen, white and black, living and dead. He goes on to say that the Civil War, when it was drawing to an end, Lincoln gave his second inaugural address. It was six weeks before he was assassinated. And he said that the nation paid a terrible price for the sins of slavery. 620,000 Americans died. 620,000. What? But still he urged forgiveness. And that's when he said with malice towards none, with charity for all. And he prayed, let us bind up the nation's wounds. That is leadership. That is calling for unity. And I don't hear a lot of that out of our so-called leaders, which is why I don't think we should only criticize them. I think we got to look for new leaders. And, And I don't mean put different people in those positions. I mean, stop even looking at those positions, right? Like stop, stop, stop even looking in that direction for leadership. Because we're always going to be complaining that they're not they're not doing a good enough job. They're not saying exactly what they need to say because they don't do anything. And they never will. So stop looking. We gotta stop looking in that direction. We have to find and celebrate the real leaders in our communities, the people who are doing amazing things every day that we don't know about because they're busy changing lives. They're busy saving lives. They don't have time to go out and give speeches. They don't have time to go out and get in front of cameras and run for office. They're busy. People running charities and volunteering at youth centers and volunteering at schools and running programs to help help at-risk kids. These are the real leaders of our country. They're not desperate for attention or for credit. A couple of years ago, maybe a year or two ago, I went down to a group down in San Diego, downtown San Diego, that works with men. A lot of these men just out of prison just in bad situations who have abandoned their families and and they're teaching them to become better fathers. It's an awesome group. Awesome group. Volunteers who lead it on my local show. We celebrate a group called boys to men started by a guy who was an addict prison, whole thing got out and just started this group and he goes to schools and works with the most at-risk kids around, you know, 13-ish and gets them on the right path. And he does it with a bunch of other addicts. And now it's grown into this giant program all across the country, started right here in San Diego. And the guy's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, <laughs> I just, I, and it, but, but it's an amazing program with incredible success. He says that out of humility. He's like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't wait. And that's why I, in the last segment, I got frustrated two segments ago with the woman in Dallas who says, yeah, I'm not a politician. I'm not an activist. I'm just a mom. Yeah, that's, that's way more important than politicians and activists. You have way more credibility than the politicians and the activists. They should be following your lead, and we should be looking at you and celebrating you for all you do. So this Boys to Men program, like in schools, teachers know obviously who the troublemaker kids are and I can guarantee you that most of the time the troublemaker kids have a broken home no dad around addiction in the family whatever it's, it's, all, it's all the same stuff we just wake up and admit it so this program you have these men who have been there 
and they mentor these kids and they work with these kids and they help these kids get through their issues and, and become real mentors. And, and it's amazing. They save these kids lives. So, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating. And I get it when people are like, well, Obama's not doing enough and he should obviously be doing more and saying different things. Yes. But there's also a program in your community and they're doing the right stuff right now. I guarantee it. There's so many people who are rolling up their sleeves to help this situation and they get no credit. And that's frustrating. So my suggestion is to stop even looking to our politics. I just want a politician. Here's what I want. I want a politician who doesn't make things worse. That's all I'm looking for. I'm not going to expect a politician to make things better. I just want them to not make things worse. Let's start with that because there's a lot of people out there who are doing amazing things. Let's celebrate them. Let's lift them up. I'll end with this quote from Gates of Fire. It's a book about the Battle of Thermopylae by Stephen Pressfield. It's awesome. He says, a king, leader, a king does not abide within his tent while his men bleed and die upon the field. A king does not dine while his men go hungry, nor sleep when they stand at watch upon the wall. A king does not command his man's loyalty through fear, nor purchase it with gold. No, he earns their love by the sweat of his own back and the pains he endures for their sake. That which comprises the harshest burden, a king lifts first and sets down last. A king does not require service of those he leads, but provides it to them. So that's, that's what a real leader is. And I don't know any civil rights leaders who exhibit that today. The popular, I know, actually no popular civil rights leaders exhibit that today. The real civil rights leaders in our country, we don't know their names. Again, they're too busy saving lives, doing real work. That's who we need to find and celebrate and encourage. one 888 One more story out of Dallas. This is, uh, you know, we shared my favorite story with the woman who was shot. I was like, I love police officers. <laughs> um, and I want to share this is my second favorite story. This is the one I talked about on the Dr. Drew show on Thursday. And and I just think this is, I, this is straight out of central casting. You could not, with the most extreme stereotypes, have painted a more perfect picture than what happened one day in Dallas. And it go it went exactly. You know, I get accused a lot of, oh, Slater, you're so naive, or Slater, you're so idealistic, or way too uh, optimistic, stuff like that. And, and I've been you know preaching about about unity and finding things we have in common and because if you don't do that then nothing else will happen and we can have all these people that come together but blah, blah, blah. preaching that people are like ah oh, you're so stupid blah, blah. this is exact something happened in Dallas that is almost laughably exactly what we need and I'll explain why it's laughably exactly what we need next Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network spread the word Mike Slater we'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Next generation of talk radio. 
This is Mike Slater. All right, so again, I think we have way more in common than differences. Now, let me be a little more clear with it. You and I, let's say you and I have 10,000 things that make us different. You may like the the Yankees, and I like the... uh, let me switch around because I like the Yankees. You may like the Red Sox. I like the Yankees. Okay, that's something that's different. Right, whatever. There may be 10,000 of those. but if, And they're all it's all surface level junk, right? Stupid stuff. Stuff that we can, uh, obvious stuff. Skin color is one of those. But if we sat down and chatted for a couple minutes, and I can do this with any two people. I can take any two people. I can lead a conversation. And I guarantee I can find 10 things that two people have in common. It's those 10 things. Yeah, obviously. Okay, so you have 10,000 10, things that make you different. 10 things that you have in common. And you'd say, well, Slater, we have way more not in common. N- numerically, yes. But the 10 things you do have in common that we all have in common are so profound and so much more valuable and so much deeper. Yeah, it's only 10 things compared to 10,000 things, but they're the only 10 things that matter. Right? So it's like it's the value of 10,000 specks of sand versus 10 diamonds. Okay, what's more valuable? Well, the 10,000 specks of sand because it's more. Well, no, no, no. The 10 diamonds are more valuable, right? Right? With me? Okay. So here's an amazing moment in Dallas. You got a group of Black Lives Matter protesters marching down the street. I don't even know if they're Black Lives Matter protesters because I think if they were, I don't know if this moment would happen. But anyway, people marching down the street. This scene comically stereotypical the black lives matter protesters whoever they are are wearing traditional african garb or all black fists in the air chanting march down the street okay if saturday night live did a skit about this they would dress people like that then these protesters come across a group of the red neckiest country boys you can possibly imagine. I'm talking tight jeans, big belt buckles, American flag shirts, giant cowboy hat, flags in the back of their pickup truck that say don't mess with Texas and the Marine Corps flat. You with me? I cannot express enough how extreme each side is in fitting their stereotypical roles. So Black Lives Matter marching down the street, come across these country boys. Police are there to keep them separated. But the Black Lives Matter folk decide to walk across the street and meet these country folk. They end up, each person, there's maybe 20 or 30 in each group, they all end up hugging each other as they introduce each other. They talk for a few minutes. Talk about things they have in common. And then, well, I'll tell you what happens at the end. Let's play this audio here. It's it's really it's video of it, but I think it still may work. Nine oh seven. Protesters. And feel this way without trying to change it. You got the Black Lives Matter and stuff. We all matter. Hell. Okay, can we stop? <laughs> we just stop there for a second. So Black Lives Matter protesting at the beginning, like I'm never gonna stop until we blah blah blah. And the other guy's like, well, hell, we all matter, right? It's so like. Are you with me on the stereotypes of each side? All right, continue. Hey, that's big. Let's figure out what y'all are. Are we all on board? Let's go. Keep it now, brother. Yes, sir. Here they're hugging it out. Y'all, brother, 
This is how you kick down the wall. This is how you kick down the wall. It's time for us to stop this today. No more walls. Today, we're going to show the rest of the country how we came together. Everybody get it in here, man. Everybody get it in. Everybody get it in. Everybody get it in. Everybody get it in. And I thank you so much, as I am so humble, that you allowed us to come a long time ago. And that today, Pray again. Thank you so much. The president, everybody, make it. Amen. Amen. Okay. So put the sappy music aside, but you can tell at the end they end up praying together. The black protesters, the white country boys, and the police officers. The police officers who were there to keep the two groups separated. Like, if I had, again, if I paid central casting. To, to make this video, you would think I made it up. Oh, yeah, right. These angry black people with the with the, with the the country rednecks in the back of the pickup truck. Oh, yeah, they're going to come together, and then they're all going to pray at the end, and the police officers are going to pray with them. Oh, okay, Slater. Like, <laughs> it's that perfect of a scene. These three people, three groups of people, praying for peace and unity. It's possible. Not just possible. It's necessary. Long time coming. All right, I want to come back with let's do some solutions here okay so we got we got that important base work down let's talk about some solutions i got three solutions that i think conservatives and black lives matter people can all come together on. and also we got to talk about france a little bit we'll do that next as well i'm going to be at the convention all next week you can follow us on facebook search for the mike slater show on facebook we're going to be going live and put a bunch of videos and stuff up there throughout the week so you can check that out uh throughout the week one more hour next spread the word You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. Going to be at the uh, convention all next week. Should be fun. All the moms in my life are very worried. My guys, everything will be fine. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, so you can follow us on Facebook because we're going to be putting stuff on Facebook a lot. So I'd love it if you could like us on the book and see what's going on. We'll take you there all week long. So I want to talk about some solutions. About policing, et cetera, et cetera. So first of all, I, I hmm. yeah, let me say this first. So Adam, I believe with the, I, I uh, agree with the Adam Carolla school of thought that you have 4% of the population, which is about, which are African-American males who contribute 50% of the crime. So if you can solve that math, then you won't have police officers who are so scared when they pull over a uh, 16 to 23 year old black male. And either, so the police officers won't be so scared of that. And then the people in the car won't be so scared of that. And then that interaction, and then everyone can get along a little better. That's point number one. But let's put that aside. That one doesn't matter as much. Here's where I want to come together. Some some arguments here that uh, Black Lives Matter people, conservatives, everyone in between can get behind. All right, let's pick the low-hanging fruit. This comes from Shamed Dogan, who's a state rep in Missouri, wrote out maybe six or seven reforms. I want to pick three of them. 
because I think these are the three that really we can just we can just knock them out. <laughs> we just do it, not even think twice about it, and just be done with it. And it's great. And it just makes sense. And it makes sense not in the name of compromise. Like, no, they're just things we agree on. Let's just do them. They're the right thing to do. All right, first things first. And I talked about this on the Dr. Drew show the other day. We must end for-profit policing. Okay, are we on the same page? This is number one. Number one thing that I, I would say this on conservative The Blaze Radio. I would say this if I was at a Black Lives Matter rally. I would say all three of these things. This is number one. We must end for-profit policing. And I think that people at the conservative rally and the people at the Black Lives Matter rally would all cheer just the same. This has to stop. This is the entire thing that started Ferguson. Michael Brown, the shooting of Michael Brown was the spark, but for-profit policing policing was just the pile of gunpowder that's been sitting there for years and has been growing and all it needed was the spark. This is from the Department of Justice. They, They found this in their report. That Ferguson was broke. They needed money. So they had the police write as many tickets on people as they could. The Ferguson Police Department turned itself into a a, a massive collections agency. Just taking money from as many people as they could. We told the story of a woman who got a parking ticket for $151. She couldn't pay it. She was basically homeless. So over the next seven years of missed court dates and penalties and all the rest, the ticket grew to $541. So she goes down to the courthouse to pay it, but she doesn't have that much money and they wouldn't let her pay it in increments. It was all or nothing. And she didn't have $541. So now there's a warrant out for her arrest. There are 33,000 warrants, arrest warrants out in Ferguson, 33,000 arrest warrants. And there's only 21,000 people who live there. (laughs) Try that one off for size. 33,000 arrest warrants and there's in a city of 21,000? Huh? Check this out. This is the Ferguson police chief, an email that he wrote to the city manager. It was like the business guy. Municipal court gross revenue for calendar year 2012 passed the 2 million mark for the first time in history. And the city manager wrote back, awesome, thanks. This is a police captain to the city manager. The girls, which are the the court clerk people, the girls have been swamped all day with a line of people paying off fines today. Since 9.30 this morning, there hasn't been less than five people in line in the last three hours, 10 to 15 people at all times. And the city manager wrote back, great work. $300 for a walking violation. $400 for disturbing the peace, $531 for high grass and weeds. And again, when people can't pay, they get arrested. I could go on. Here's the deal. It wasn't about racism in Ferguson. It was about money. It was greed. And you're thinking, well, Slater, why didn't they find rich people? Because rich people have money for lawyers to get them out of the tickets. And that ends up just costing the city money. So the best way to raise money is actually to find poor people and then keep finding them over and over again. It's greed, not racism. It's greed from an out-of-control government 
that was that created the gunpowder in Ferguson. Isn't that amazing. Now that's for profit policing. That's got to stop. Then, on top of this, a newer phenomenon: civil forfeiture. Now, civil forfeiture has been going on for a while, but the new thing is police departments are putting civil forfeiture in their budget. So, civil forfeiture is: let's say you're driving down the road. Uh, well, I'll give you an example. There's a gentleman we talked to a while back. He uh, owns a convenience store in Texas, I think. I forget. He was driving down the street from the store to his bank. He got pulled over for broken taillight, whatever. They found a bunch of cash in the back seat. He was driving to the bank. It's mostly a cash business. And they took it. Took all his money. That was it. They just took it. Civil forfeiture. And they're like, oh, we think you're in a, a, a drug smuggling operation. And it's almost impossible to get that money back. So it's civil forfeiture. And then the, the money, the police department's taken and they just spend it. They use it in their own budget. So that's one thing when it was considered like, hey, look, extra money. But it's another thing to have it in the budget where you have to, they have to to steal a million dollars a year or whatever it is. That is wildly corrupt, has to stop. Cool? Are we all in agreement on that? I can't think of a single person who's like, no, we must continue those. Pro-. Like, No, come on. Unless you're the city manager. Those got to stop. Everyone agrees with that. Okay, good. Pardon. <laughs> Look at that. Agreement. Agreement and movement forward. Beautiful. Oh, I feel so good. All right, number two. Uh, improving training for police officers is always good. Uh, in- increasing pay when it's appropriate. Okay, sure, fine. But the police union needs reform. Because it shouldn't be impossible to fire a bad police officer. We know it's impossible to fire a bad teacher. In the entire state of California, there's, I believe there's 300,000 teachers in California. And every year, two are fired for bad performance. Two out of 300,000. Two. Okay. So it's impossible to be fired if you're a teacher. It shouldn't be impossible if you're a cop. I've heard from many police officers that it's about 10, 15, 20%. I'll go with 10. 10% of police officers shouldn't be police officers. Now, I don't know, not in police departments, but I've heard that from a bunch of cops. 10%. I think that's probably about right because that's probably right for every profession. Right? 10% of teachers shouldn't be teachers. 10% of restaurant owners shouldn't be restaurant owners. 10% of, um, I don't know, tow truck drivers shouldn't be tow truck. I don't know, 10%, right? It's probably about right. So that's probably true for cops too. And the union, the problem is they're there. They're always there. Every union is there for the worst union members. But that's no good in a police force. We don't want that 10% around. They give a bad name to the other 90%. And puts the other 90% in harm's way. Because if you got a 10%, let's say someone in that 10% is super racist and goes around and does horrible things in the city, that hurts every other police officer who works in the city. This is no good. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we got to get rid of the police union. I'm not saying that police... Uh, don't deserve protection from the union whenever blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all that stuff. But if someone is a bad police officer, just objectively a bad police officer, the union should not do everything they can to make sure that this guy stays on the force because that's not helping the other 90%. It's not helping anyone. It's not worth it. So the bad cops got to go and the biggest roadblock in the way of that are the unions. Okay, so that's number, that's number two. 
Number three, something I think we can all get behind. And this is something we could talk about in more detail another day because I'm not sure exactly how it looks. But I think it's in the right direction. So a few years ago, there was a retired Air Force colonel who was shot by a police officer. And Wisconsin passed a law after that that requires an independent criminal investigation into uh, officer-involved deaths. So officer shoots someone, person dies. There has to be an independent criminal investigation. So I'm not sure exactly what that should look like or, or the rest, but the movement to pass the bill was called When Police Kill, Should They Judge Themselves? Now, we can work out the details because I don't want Black Lives Matter people judging them either. So we can work out the details of how to make this the most fair process. It's a worthy discussion, but I think the concept makes sense. Right? I mean, we want this to be a fair and honest as possible. So those are three things that I think are are just right. And I can't imagine much disagreement. There's always going to be some disagreement. I brought up that second one about the unions earlier or the other day on my local show. And uh, some union guy calls and it's like, oh, the union's there to represent blah, 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 blah. All right. So there'll always be someone who's going to disagree. But I think we're talking 98% agreement on these things. So let's pick the low-hanging fruit and let's get moving. Let's build some momentum. But it's hard to do that because battle lines are drawn. Right? After Dallas, Al Sharpton hollering about the NRA. What? And then conservatives dig in about whatever. And it's... There's long-term and short-term. There's societal changes and government changes. Let's do the simple things. Let's do the simple ones. 1-888-933-93. I want to play one clip, come back, of uh, Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley, and and it's not not really Charles. It's Charles talking to someone. And really, I I think it's the other guy that's most interesting. Because Charles does what Charles does. But it's the other guy who's just riddled with with white guilt and and virtue signaling and I want to play that because it's a good example we'll do it next Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network spread the word you're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network Later on the Blaze Radio Network. I want to play this exchange. It's a couple of minutes. I don't like playing longer clips like this, but I think it's interesting because it's Charles Barkley, who has been on this particular side of the issue many times because the same thing happens over and over again. And Dan Lebetard, who's a uh, sports talk guy. And Charles talks the most here, but when Dan talks, it's interesting because. I mentioned before the break that it's virtue signaling, but that's not right. Virtue signaling is not authentic. Uh, virtue signaling is when you are outraged at something on someone else's behalf and you are only outraged because you want to seem like a good person because what this is, what you're being outraged about is bad. And, and I, well, it doesn't like, I don't care, but, but I care on behalf of these people. Who care. Oh, and I care. So it's so I'm outraged that you would do such, Oh, like that's virtue signaling. I don't know if that's what this is. I think this guy just got major white guilt. 
I think he genuinely feels bad and, and genuinely wants to be on the right side of this issue. And society's telling him he has to jump on the Black Lives Matter bandwagon or else he's a bad person and he wants to do the right thing. So he jumps on the bandwagon. He thinks he's showing empathy. But Charles Barkley's saying, Dan, get it straight. It's a couple minutes, but it's worth it. Here's. There's a lot of people at fault. Uh, the cops have made some mistakes. Uh, black people have made some mistakes. Until we stop, we have to sit back and be honest with each other. The cops have made some mistakes that don't give us the right to riot and shoot cops. We need the cops, especially in the black community. We as black people, we've got to do better. We never get mad when black people kill each other, which that always has bothered me. It has always bothered me. And then somebody's going to scream like, well, you can't change the subject. Well, first of all, I've never changed the subject. I've always said we as black people, if you want respect, you have to give each other respect. You can't demand respect from white people and the cops if we don't respect each other. So uh, I, we got to do better as black people. The cops have made some mistakes. Uh, but there's a lot of blame to go around. But I'm not going to get on TV and yell. Uh, like all these other idiots, because, but I'm willing to sit down with anybody and have a constructive criticism. How I always tell myself as a black man, am I part of the problem? Am I part of the solution? And if I'm out doing illegal stuff, stupid stuff, I'm part of the problem. If I'm helping young black kids go to college like I'm trying to do, uh, if, if I'm giving money to causes to help young black men get it, I know I'm part of the solution. Uh, I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to be perfect. But you have to ask yourself, are you part of the problem? Or are you part of the solution? I, I respect and admire what cops do. My, my bodyguard is a cop, a black cop. We talk about situation all the time. And one of the problems with this, this stuff on the media, all these people are Monday morning quarterbacks. And you know what they are, Dan? They're Monday morning quarterbacks because they don't have the stones to play on Sunday. Everybody say what I would do or what I should do. I think some of these cops are panicking under pressure. Uh, you know, because I had a real in-depth conversation about my, with my bodyguard about the gun thing in Minnesota. You know, Dan, I'm a gun guy. And he always warns me, he said, do not put your ID where your gun is. He says, what I think, and I'm not saying, he says, I don't know whether we think the cop is right or wrong. First of all, everything is happening in fast motion. Everything's happening. Everybody get to sit back and see what happened. He says, what I think happened was that cop said, can I have your ID? And then the next thing he said was, I have a gun, and he reaches. And I think the cop just panicked. I know, but Charles, they're more likely to panic around black people because there's a fear well, of Well, Dan, because people. in fairness, some black people out there, they are crooks. Now, you can't sit there and act like all these, at first, I'm not saying in that situation, there's a reason there's some, and I'm not saying that's right either. There is some reason why there's racial stereotypes, because some of these black people out there are committing crimes. Let's don't sit there and act like all our hands are clean. Let's say, let me say. I know, me, but Charles, that you can't be profiling like that. I understand. Man, what these guys, are, they're dealing with criminals every day, and that's easy for you to say. That's easy for you to say. And like I say, I'm not saying they should racial profile, guys. I'm saying that's wrong. But I'm saying 
we can't jump to conclusions every time, like, it's because a guy is black. First of all, there is racial profiling. There's always been racism. First of all, there's racism on both sides. Let's get that straight. But to just assume, first of all, if you go back and look at that thing in Louisiana, I think those cops clearly overreacted. But there's no doubt in my mind if I'm fighting with a guy and I hear somebody scream gun and I got a gun, I'm going to shoot the guy. And like I say, the cops probably did overreact in both situations. But we got to we got to look at the big picture. Let's work with the cops because we need the cops, Dan. If it wasn't for the cops, we'd be living in the wild, wild west. And let me get this right. Cops have made mistakes. But as a black person, every time you try to say, hey, listen, we still got to do better. But like I say, and like when I say, why don't black people get mad when we kill each other? And I'm not trying to deflect or place blame. That's just a fact. That's not true, Charles. That's it not, is true, Dan. Why don't, Dan, first of all, you're not black. I know I'm not black, but that's not true that black people don't get mad that other that other black people are killing black people. That's we not don't, true. We don't have near the outrage we do when a white cop kills somebody. Dan, I've been black my whole life. Most black people I know are killed by other black people, and I've never understood why there's not this moral outrage the way we treat each other as black people. It can be both, Charles. It can be both. But, Dan, first of all, if you're going to sit on TV and say there's the same moral outrage when black people kill each other, when white people kill each other, that's just disingenuous on your part. Isn't that interesting? If you flipped it around and Charles is white... And, and the other guy was black, then you can have that conversation. But Dan's reaction to Charles, Dan's like, oh, damn, Charles, you know? And, and Charles like, no, man. Like, here's the truth. Here's what, oh, and I, oh but Charles, I mean, it's not true. Uh, really interesting. Let's just see the truth and share it. And don't be afraid of it. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Sorry, Slater. Thanks for being here today. Let's uh, talk about France here. For a second. So, first things first. Let's not forget the Crusades. Okay? Don't be getting on your high horse. And uh, these aren't real Muslims. Because real Muslims uh, don't drive trucks. I don't know. Uh, Poverty. It's our fault. Military interventionism around the world. We're not inclusive enough. Microaggressions. I don't know. I don't know. Because the truth is, the motive still unknown. And we could never know what the motive really is. Well, anything other than kill the infidel. We know we, we can cross that one off the list. It's amazing. My, my macabre defense mechanism... Now that we have all these terrorist attacks, and the most uh, maybe last like five or six of them, is instead of focusing on the horror of it, instead of focusing on the 84 people who are crushed and bodies mutilated, 
blood pouring out on the street and and seeing their family members on the on the on the road on their knees crying next to their dying child i'm sure you saw the picture of the six-year-old girl covered with a blanket with her baby doll lying next to her on the street like who wants who wants to focus on that i get it i don't i don't focus on that that's horrible two americans killed sean copeland his 11 year old son brody from texas People throwing their children over fences to get them out of harm's way. Imagine being in that position, right? You're with your kid enjoying fireworks. Now you got to throw them over a fence so you don't both die. And the truck drove for over a mile. Do me a favor. Next time you're in your car, pop the odometer odometer, odometer to uh, zero. Reset it. Drive 1.2 miles. 1.2 miles is a long way. That is a long way. When I first heard about this, I thought, I don't know, 25 yards, a football, or it's not a football, a, a, a swimming pool. Like your, your average swimming pool at the Y, 25 yards. And that'd be a long time. A mile, 1.2. If you ran a mile, it's like yeah, 10 minutes. 10 minutes, that's a long way to run. That is a long way for this thing to go, for this truck. A lot of people. So instead of focusing on that because it breaks your heart, I, I, as a defense mechanism, I, I don't, and I instead sit back and wait to see how the left spins it into anything other than terrorism. That's the new game I play with these, and I hate it. So this one, it can't be gun control, no guns. Even though apparently he did have explosives in the back of the truck. Maybe, I don't know, I'm not sure, some reports say. So it couldn't be guns. So this is what it was at first. Guns didn't wouldn't work, right? That's that's what they usually go to. So they went to a very old standby, which I haven't heard in a while. This was initially the very the very first thing was, oh, this is because of our foreign policy mistakes around the world. Okay, this is our foreign policy, and this is this is what happens when you have military interventionism around the world like that. Okay, so you have that, but that's so old that that doesn't really. People don't really, uh, it doesn't solve it, right? For the left, the left trying to distract and deflect. It's not enough. So this is my all-time favorite. And they threw this one as a little cherry on top. My favorite one of all is, listen, people, the most important thing that we need to do from this point forward, the most important thing for all of us, France, England, America, the most important thing is we need to be vigilant against anti-Muslim backlash. That, that's, that's, ever, that's the most important thing, people. We got to be vigilant against anti-Muslim backlash. They always do that. They always turn these terrorist attacks into a story about preventing anti-Muslim backlash, which, by the way, there never is. There never is any anti-Muslim backlash. There shouldn't be, and there never is, which is why they don't actually point to anti-Muslim backlash. They just say, hey, make sure there isn't any. Yeah, there never is. So shut up about it. The all-time greatest example of this is Sydney. Do you remember two years ago, there was the ISIS-inspired guy who took people hostage, killed two people? The next day, a woman was on a bus and saw a Muslim woman taunted. And this woman was so harassed and verbally abused that she got off the bus before her stop. And the woman jumped off the bus and said, ma'am, ma'am. It's okay. I'll ride with you. 
and she wrote an editorial about it. And and then this sickingly self-righteous hashtag went around, I'll ride with you. And people would say, hey, I'm leaving from downtown to uptown at 8 a.m. on, on the, the, the 32 bus. And, and if you're Muslim, don't be scared. Don't be scared. I'll ride with you. Virtue signaling at its best. Everyone all, all over Twitter, oh, hey, listen, I'll, I'll ride with you, okay? Let's, let's, we'll do it together. I'll ride. Don't be scared, okay? I'm fighting against anti-Muslim backlash. I'm not one of those people who, who are bigoted against Muslims. I'll ride with you. Turns out the woman completely made it up. Did not happen at all. There was a Muslim woman on the bus at the time, and she wasn't being harassed at all. She, this white woman, just imagined what she would do if she was being taunted and then made up this story. She wasn't made it all up. She admits she made it all up. But by making it up and by this continued, oh, we got to prevent anti by continuing this nonsense, it creates this perception that there is anti-Muslim bigotry that everyone acts on all the time. There's not. There never is. So frustrating. So that's what they went with uh, right off the jump. Then after we had a little bit of time to uh, digest it, and they, they were thinking about, well, this isn't going to last for long. What do we got? Because there never is the anti-Muslim bigotry, so you can't list, last on that for a long time. So what else we got? What else we got? What else? Ah, truck crash. Mm-hmm. It was a truck crash. Well, for, first it was road rage. It was road rage. It's your average road rage. You know, no big deal. Uh, but now it's a, it's a truck crash. Just your just your average truck. I mean, there was a truck crash on the five the other day, uh, kind of close to my work. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone died in that one. But here's a truck. I'm just truck crashes all over the country. There was one in Nice the other day, killed 84 people. You know, just your average truck crash. <laughs> what? I almost got to give it to him. I've never heard that one before. It's great. Ah, <sighs> there's the 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 lengths. They'll go the lengths they'll go to ignore reality. Now, one thing on the anti-Muslim backlash, you may be saying, well, hold on, Slater. Don't you want to ban Muslims from coming into America? No, no, I don't. And Trump won't do that. Um, Here's my policy real quick, just because we're about to come to the convention and we'll see if it even comes up. I don't think it will, but it's pretty simple thought process. If you'd like to join me on this journey here for 90 seconds. There's 172 countries in the world, I think, 172. Other than Americans, there's 6.6 billion people in the world. So remember that number, 6.6 billion. You can imagine it in your head, 6.6 billion. 1.6 million of those are Muslims. So you got 5 billion, sorry, 1.6 billion. So you have 5 5 billion people who aren't Muslims and then 1.6 billion people who are Muslims. So 5 billion, 1.6 billion. So... We have two groups of people to choose from as we accept immigrants. 5 billion non-Muslims, 1.6 billion Muslims. I'm okay with accepting people from each group, but let's just take a second to make sure that these are good people who we'd want on our team. And by good people, I mean people who don't have any proclivity to blow other people up and drive over them with a semi. Oh, Slater, who has a proclivity for that? Well, I can tell you who doesn't. Japanese people. I, just, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Does that happen in Japan a lot? A lot of suicide bombers in Japan. 
They had kamikaze pilots, but I, I, not lately, right? So I, well, right, Japanese people, no, no proclivity. People in the Caribbean. I don't know of any suicide bombers in the Caribbean. So that's cool, right? So that's we can, they, we'll have them. Argentina. I don't know anyone from Argentina. Okay. Iceland, no. We could go on. You get the idea. But there are people who come from certain parts of the world. Well, that is more likely. It doesn't even have to be much more likely, just a little bit more likely. So let's just make sure that that person's on the up and up. And let's make sure that that person wants to be an American and everything that that means. Is that racist? Is that so bad? Is that really, really that bad? What is the problem here? Thomas Sowell said, you got in one group, 85% of the people are law-abiding. Okay, that's group A. Group A, 85% of people, law-abiding people. Group B, you got 90% law-abiding. Well, if you accept people, if you accept group A, you got three times as many people who break the law. Do, do, do we want that? Like what? Like you may say, well, it's statistically not a big difference. You know, 85%, 90. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's a pretty big difference. Sorry, 85% and 95%. Sorry, math. my math is wrong. <laughs> Sorry. Group A, 85% law abiding. So that means 15% aren't. Group B, 95% are all law abiding, which means 5% aren't. Okay, so flip it around. Group A, 15% not law abiding. Group B, 5% not law abiding. That's a pretty big difference. Now you could say, oh, well, Group A, most of the people are law abiding. Yeah, yeah, 85%, that's a lot. But mm, we could do better than that. And by law-abiding, I mean, or not law-abiding, I mean like blowing themselves up in a terrorist attack. So, so why is this even a consideration, really? Well, we can't have a conversation because of Islamophobia, which, by the way, we talked about a couple weeks ago. The guy who came up with that term, literally the guy who invented that term, Islamophobia, has since come out and said, well, turns out I was wrong. Uh, assimilation did not happen like I thought it would with Muslims in England. So... Anyway, does that mean, does that make sense, this whole ban Muslims? I don't think we should ban Muslims. I uh, I know two Muslims, actually. Um, talked to them on the radio. Now, both of them say we shouldn't have any immigrants from Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan. And I said, well, what about you guys? And they're like, oh, well, we worked with the U.S. military, so you know us. You know we're good people. You know we want to be here. We've helped you for years when you were over there in your military. We're good people. But you don't want the people I know in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria to be living here. That's what they've told me. Anyway, here's the Guardian. Uh, There are two immediate direct consequences for the UK if the attack is confirmed as a terrorist. First is the decision by terrorists to use the tactic. They've been using that for a long time in Israel. Second, past attacks overseas have led to increase in hate incidents in the UK directed at Muslims. Uh, no, no, it hasn't, but anything to deflect Slider radio on Twitter, Mike Slater show the blaze radio network, spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the blaze radio network.
888-900-3393. Mike Slater is on. So France, a little more awake than uh, than we are. So the interior minister said, quote, we are at war with terrorists who want to strike us at any cost and who are extremely violent. So, so uh, the lowest rung on the ladder is truck attack. Okay. The truck has a mind of its own. Right above that is what we do in America. And we, we fight against violent extremism, right? Above that is we fight against terrorism. It's close, but not really. Because we got to stop this whole we're at war with terrorism thing. We're not. Stop with that. You don't go to war against a tactic. That doesn't make any sense. The colonists were not at war against bayonets. World War One not, was not a war against the German U-boat. Vietnam was not a war against guerrilla warfare, which is probably a closer analogy, right? Gorilla, you, know, you, don't, you don't fight guerrilla warfare. You don't, you're not, we're not at a war against the kamikaze pilot. You're at war against the ideology behind the people who are using these weapons and these tactics. Really, the people who are using them. So we got to stop saying it's terror. Like, we get it. Like we, we get what terrorism is. We understand the tactic. We're all fully aware of that. But who's using it? No mention of that, which is the ultimate deflection. But here's, this is worse. French Prime Minister, terrorism is a threat that is weighing heavily on France. Times have changed and we should learn to live with terrorism. Should we? Should we learn to live with it? I don't know if we should. Uh, You're actually the people who kind of we put in charge to make sure we don't have to live with that. As the president of France said, the borders are being tightened. And France will show, quote, real force and military action in Syria and Iraq. No, they won't. No one will. Because feelings. We don't want to hurt them. Amazing. Well, it'll keep happening again and again. We are going to be at, uh, well, just say, be on the lookout for more truck crashes. We are going to be at the convention all next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be a masterful display of storytelling and stagecraft and persuasion and all these things. I think, oh, I never got to Brock Mueller. Darn it. I think he and Ivanka Trump are going to steal the show. Follow us on Facebook so we can hang out all next week. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.